All right, welcome to Slime House, a podcast of crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and a little mild language. I'm Dracula. I'm the Wolf Man. I'm the Gill Man. And I'm Frankenstein. Yeah, so for this month in October, we're diving into some of the spookiest slime over the decades. And uh, today we're kicking things off with an early brew, 1987's The Monster Squad. Once upon a time, it was one monster per movie. Those were the good old days. We're the Monster Squad. Awesome. Only one way to kill a werewolf. The Monster Squad, rated PG-13. So the Monster Squad follows a group of grade school horror movie buffs who find themselves in a real-life monster mash when Dracula and his contemporaries, including the Wolfman, the Mummy, Frankenstein, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, all descend upon their small town in search of an ancient book written by Van Helsing himself, and, of course, mischief and outrageous hijinks ensue. The film was directed by Fred Decker, who didn't do too much else in his career, Robocop 3, a couple of other B-horror movies, but I think significantly it's co-written by Shane Black, who's now possibly an A-list director, directing Iron Man 3, The Nice Guys, and writing a ton of Hollywood hits, including Lethal Weapon, which was his calling card this same exact year, 1987. And the cast is a lot of young teen stars, but nobody who really took off, except for John Grease, uh, who you might know as Uncle Rico. He stars as the Wolfman. But let's dive into it, you guys. Where do you guys see this fitting into kind of the Slimehouse timeline? Well, I'd say it kind of fits like a perfect mix between the two proto-Slimehouse genres of Something like the Goonies and something like Weird Science where like it's a bunch of kids going on adventures and kind of getting into trouble and also brings in some sci-fi and horror elements out of something like Weird Science. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely to me, the Goonies I think is a great reference for this. I feel like there's a natural progression from... We did Weird Science earlier, which is much more of a teen movie and we're going to get into... St- peak Slimehouse later, which is much more of kids' movies, you know, the protagonists being eight or nine years old. This is sort of right in between those, where it's not quite a teen movie. I think the kids are supposed to be on 12 to 14 years old. Specifically 12. There's a line that says, I'm 12. <laughs> right. That's that's right. But kind of like the Goonies, there's that older, they're the older characters who are teenagers who are a key to the plot and to state the obvious, it's very much a carbon copy of a lot of Goonies elements at times. I feel like this and the Goonies are the same idea, which is this template of kids' movies in the 80s in this kind of suburban setting, but with the influence of genre movies. The Goonies, it's like adventure films, swashbucklers, Indiana Jones. It's also because Spielberg wrote the story for that movie, but... In this film, Monster Squad, it's basically classic horror movies. They're Frankenstein and Dracula, Wolfman, Mummy, a classic universal horror movies. And it's very much an homage to them, but also very cheerfully, playfully subverting those types of films as well. 
Yeah, because there's a some there's like a number of like really direct references to those Universal movies that I noticed. Especially there's a scene that pretty much does shot for shot the scene in Frankenstein where he comes upon the little girl like throwing flowers in the water. They kind of spoof that scene in a way where. Of course, he doesn't kill the girl like he does in the original Frankenstein, but it's very much a reference to that, and more subtly, even the Dracula scene at the very beginning, there's armadillos all around the castle, which is actually something from like the original Dracula movie, which I'd forgotten about the movie till I was doing research. There's a bunch of armadillos in Dracula's castle in that movie for whatever reason. I think it might just be with where they filmed it, but huh. it's definitely something that people remember about that one. One thing that I thought of, too, is we talk a lot about Slimehouse being a genre of a lot of remakes and a lot of reboots, reimaginings. And to me, this kind of played as a way of reimagining, or at least an attempt to reimagine these universal monster movies for a younger audience. And to me, that, that, that really speaks true to kind of the Slimehouse mentality, and I think it's an early example of bringing that classic Hollywood narrative to the modern. The then modern age of like the 80s. I think we are saying the same thing about how the Goonies in this are taking archetypes and um, visual ideas from these classic movies and projecting them into this you know, Reagan era suburbia. Totally, yeah. And and on that Goonies tip, going off what Nelson was saying, some very almost suspicious similarities between these two narratives you have and this is a trope that we see a lot in these kids movies the character of pardon me but the fat kid as he's literally called in this movie (laughs) who is similar to chunk in the goonies you have frankenstein who's the lovable monster whom everyone is scared of at first who ends up being the tender plot turner in the end similar to sloth yeah um in the goonies and then literally you have the same actress playing the mom mary ellen trainer in both movies and even the narrative is a little bit similar to this idea of this motley crew of of kids these dorks these nerds these outcasts coming together for an adventure that seems beyond plausibility i even saw somewhere online comments about it being such a knockoff of Goonies, but I think it's a step closer to the Slimehouse genre in its most peak form. Because Goonies is definitely proto-slime, and this I would I would call this proto-slime as well. I don't think it's peak slime, but this is closer yeah. in, in the timeline to where Slimehouse really erupted. I, I agree that this is definitely a, a proto-slime film, but definitely captures more of the spirit but i think something that's interesting is this is a pg-13 movie Mm -hmm. and it's a lot more vulgar than a lot of the kind of peak slime you will see there's a lot of swearing there's a lot of expletives um the humor is a little more crude and adult kind of like what we saw in weird science earlier also a pg-13 movie yeah feels like it's transitioning down from weird science but it does feel like it has a step in the John Hughes camp still. I actually didn't even know what this movie was rated when I was watching it, but I was like, damn, pulling a lot of mild language as we know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the similarities between this and Weird Science are interesting. I think we we got 
quite a bit into how weird science looks, sounds, and feels in 2020, how the humor hasn't aged that well in that, and we noticed some of that in this, but not nearly to the same degree. We did mention there's the kid character who, he's literally called Fat Kid. There's a lot of scenes and lines that kind of eventually land on some sort of crude fat shaming joke. There's some other kind of dated general mean-spiritedness that we observed, some homophobic jokes, some slut-shaming at some point towards one of the character's older sisters. And one thing I thought was similar to Weird Science was that the ending of the movie involves this showdown with these creatures or monsters from other films with Weird Science stories like Hills Have Eyes and Mad Max characters showing up at the end. And it didn't really tie in with anything that was happening in the movie, and it was just kind of... <laughs> random but here it's like obviously part of the story yeah i mean interestingly it's something i know this is actually while we were just talking about this that both this and weird science this more directly of course reference frankenstein i mean the plot of weird science is what if like instead of frankenstein's monster they made like a hot woman to be their girlfriend and i mean this obviously frankenstein's monster is one of the main characters because we've talked about before how slimehouse is kind of like these pulp fiction kind of movies targeted towards a child audience and i feel like the monster movies even though they're looked at more esteemed this kind of classics now kind of were the pulp fiction of their times yes yeah i think what i was trying to say is that this is less of a direct wish fulfillment narrative kind of movie like mm -hmm. you know, the, the the bully characters are kind of like dealt with at the beginning of the movie they're not kind of like made like legit characters throughout the film I do think this movie is not as interested in the school environment as Weird Science is, but it's not like the Goonies where you don't you never see these kids in school. And establishes through the initial scene with the principal that they can't pay attention in class, they're drawing pictures of monsters, and it gives you a really good sense of like what their personalities are like. From there, it kind of progresses into a more traditional kind of like adventure. Yeah, yeah. something that I think, I think that that speaks to is it feels like in a lot of Slimehouse movies, school is secondary. Yeah, yeah. Aside from some obvious, you know, ones that come to mind that are set in a school, like Max Keeble's Big Move, <laughs> which would come almost 15 years after this. Kids don't want to see a movie about school. They want to see a movie about having fun outside of school. So school is almost just a way of showing, oh, these are kids in a school. They go to school. They're just like you, but they have a whole lot of fun outside of the classroom. And I think that that's a really interesting note. There's always this kind of punk attitude towards school being boring or useless. Yeah. There's a funny line in the first scene with the principal while the kids are in detention where he says, science is cool, man. And a like totally, I'm getting down to these kids level. But it's played in a way where, you know, science isn't cool. School isn't cool. We don't want to be here. Monsters are what are cool. So that added, that heightened attitude and, and almost anti-school attitude, I think, is very, very um, indicative of, of later Slimehouse themes. Yeah, because I actually thought it was interesting, like, when they're leaving the principal's office talking about this is actually where some of like the old school like homophobia came to play they're like talking about how the principal's like gay and how they think he was like touching their shoulders weird or something which i feel like and like they're that's never corrected or anything for them so it's like a very a very anarchic like this principal as far as we can tell doesn't do anything bad he's not an awful guy or anything but just by being the principal he's already the enemy 
And that's a perfect segue into some into some tropes, but specifically character archetypes, which is always a favorite thing to discuss. Something we haven't talked about yet are the, the authoritative figures that keep showing up in these movies. And they're buffoons always, or, or they're, they're kind of out-of-touch squares most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and the principal archetype, or whoever's in charge of detention, the disciplinarian archetype is really fun to see in these movies. Yeah, I feel like it's very common to have like a scene where a character like this tries to like be with it and use the hip slang and then you're supposed to like laugh and think that's inherently funny let this guy's like, oh, this guy thinks he's like cool and with it, but he's a principal. He's just in it to make these kids have no fun. And it's funny because beyond the principal, Frankenstein in this movie also learns kind of the hip lingo with bogus. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and that reminded me a lot of like Encino Man, which I think is also essential proto slime, maybe full slime, where it's like the character that's sort of a Neanderthal type using and learning the cool ways of the 80s is a very like go-to joke and stuff like this. I mean, that's in Terminator 2 as well. That's the first thing I think of with that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Lingo doesn't have the weight it had at that time where it was... Like, what is the lingo? What's the thing I should say? Bogus, man. I guess it's not as direct as it used to be. It's like lit. Yeah, like with meme culture, it's even more, I would say, it's more proliferated, the lingo. But and it changes faster. It's more rapid. Let me modify that. I would say movies used to kind of be what taught people the lingo in a weird way. And now with social media, we don't need movies to be okay. That's fair. telling us bogus, man, or lit or tiktok or whatever totally (laughs) yeah there's a scene in the angry birds movie where they talk about squad goals and i just rolled my eyes when i saw that because it was used so out of context and so incorrectly not that i am you know promoting using that term by any means but it was it was so awful in how it was done and it was just clear misunderstanding of how that phrase was used at the time but i think that's a really really astute observation nelson and that mm, for sure you know, a lot of movies back in you know this time 80s 90s and even the early thousands that's where we got a lot of our jokes from and our cultural references from and now it's from social media it's from twitter it's from instagram and memes. Another character archetype that I think we're going to see a lot is the mysterious neighbor who's scary and then turns out to be have a heart of gold or, or be a, a ally of sorts. And the first movie I think of that shares this is Home Alone, which has a very prominent use of this. But in today's movie, it's so obvious to us perhaps that when they see the scary house with the old man that it's not going to be what they think it is and yeah and this was made before home alone so maybe it was establishing that trope in slime yeah and he also yeah he turns out to be like actually an ally much earlier than i feel like like usually i feel like it's the end of the movie when it turns out like oh the neighbor's actually good but he like helps them translate the German or whatever it is, the Polish or whatever, like pretty early. Yeah. Like, uh, like pretty early on in the movie. And he continues from that point on to be kind of a key ally of the monster squad. Yeah. I, I really liked this older character guy. I thought they, it was one of the better examples of, of this 
of this archetype. And I, I want to bring up the fascinating moment where he says, I have seen real monsters and they just subtly show that he has a Holocaust scar, which was pretty nuts to throw in there casually. Very bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing this as a kid. I didn't really get that at first because I thought I was probably like seven or eight and I didn't really understand like the Holocaust like tattoo thing. But yeah, that was a very heavy theme to bring into this movie, especially to like not acknowledge that much from that point on. But I guess it does it does a lot to really like make us empathize with this character right off the bat for sure. Yeah, for me, it was it was interesting because. One, the first time I watched this movie, I thought that was going to come back in some way. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, it was supposed to. Like he was a time traveler who was, and they were going to maybe tie the Holocaust to the monsters. Um, like they were somehow involved. But it just is kind of this weird random reference that's <laughs> just they have in the middle of this movie yeah Um, especially because the movie doesn't go that it's a short movie it's 82 minutes solid and so there's no uh there's very little kind of character development of this type where it's kind of below the surface so for them to throw in something like that i definitely kind of was taken aback yeah i read that like there is a significant amount of this movie that was cut out to get it as short as it was which made me curious about maybe if there was more about that in some of the cut scenes, mm-hmm. because yeah, a lot of scenes in the screenplay apparently were cut, and a lot of stuff that was filmed was cut. So yeah, I was wondering if this came up any more, or if it was just meant to be this very subtle kind of moment. Speaking of neighbors, another trope I think that shows up quite a bit in these Slimehouse movies is the hot, hot girl next door or the hot older sister. To almost kind of a a very sleazy degree yeah for sure when because yeah they end up blackmailing her with like nude photos at one point which is a maybe the element that ages the worst of this movie if i had to pick something it was the most weird (laughs) sciencey part of the movie for sure yeah definitely but i think frankenstein took the photos like yeah he takes it on accident and then like the cool (laughs) kid rudy i think is his name finds them on the camp like from the polaroid or whatever (laughs) and decides to use them yeah (laughs) yeah it's a very kind of bizarre twist of events the the kid's already spying on her so i don't know why frankenstein had to be the one to take the pictures if he was going to use them later anyways but i don't know i guess (laughs) no they needed him to have that in the banging montage when they try to he's holding the picture up and they can't reach they needed to set that up yeah i remember (laughs) yeah they needed that gag (laughs) these movies that are almost all a cast of male characters they need to kind of throw in at least one girl into the mix they have the younger sister who who is very cute i enjoyed her moments but Mm -hmm. they also yeah less that's less common to see in these movies it is very common to see the the hot elusive older girl yeah, and kind of building on that, also the cool older kid that's hanging with like the lame young kids to get the hot older girl. I think the mm-hmm. Goonies has that with Josh Brolin's character. I think oh, yeah. likes the girl. Yeah, and I feel like that's very common that there's a cool kid that's like kind of lowering himself to hang out with these losers to get like the hot girl, but then he ends up like actually being their friends. So. Yes, I think another archetypal character that shows up in these kinds of movies it shows up here is a character that is close to the action 
family member sometimes, in this case the dad, and he is a cop. It's kind of related to what's going on in the, the main story and the mystery and the adventure that the kids are going through in parallel trying to solve a crime. And he's getting a lot of information that he doesn't believe about being these monsters around town. There's a lot of slime movies where people are you know, portrayed in this kind of like, it, it kind of makes it seem like their job is mundane. mundane. And it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like a lot of bogus. Bogus. They feel like most of it they can't really take seriously. And they're just kind of over mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these movies take place in small towns. And I think part of the joke in a lot of these movies is, oh, nothing extraordinary ever happens in these towns nothing extraordinary happens in the suburbs why should we believe that this man is a wolf you know a werewolf why should we believe that dracula would come to small town usa and kind of on the mention of the you know the father being a cop there's also this theme that we see a lot in these slime house movies about marital troubles or trouble keeping relationships afloat yep and it's kind of unclear exactly why the mother and the father in the movie the central mother and father in this movie are having marital troubles but you know it's there and i think a lot of maybe in before they trimmed this movie down there was a sense of the kids were helping save the marriage or you know sounds familiar there is that element left in kind of the final showdown where you know the the younger sister character who's actually very funny in this movie i liked her a lot where the younger sister character is is being kind of held in a chokehold by dracula and the mom and the father have a shared moment of no phoebe like don't hurt her conflict between parents yeah and we've seen this in in house arrest we see this in in flubber in a different way you know he keeps forgetting his wedding but this idea of you got to work hard to keep, you know, a marriage together. And a lot of times it's the kids that do that. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of see the dad feel kind of a sub archetype of kind of like the hairy dad that's like trying his best, especially in the scene where he like, the kid wants to go see a horror movie. I think Groundhog Day Groundhog 12. Groundhog Day Part 12. Yeah, Groundhog Day Part 12, which this movie predates Groundhog Day. At first I was like, what the hell? Groundhog Day Part 12. And it's a horror movie but yeah this predates Groundhog Day but yeah <laughs> the kid wants to see some slasher movie called Groundhog Day part 12 and the dad like can't take him but then the dad like brings him Burger King I think actually and they like sit on the roof together and kind of watch it like from afar the drive in so I feel like in all these movies you either get like a dad that's like misses the game or you get a dad that's doing <laughs> his best like but struggling but I feel his like this best is, yeah. just wasn't enough mm-hmm <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this is a very big slime house trope that shows up in this movie is it it gives the kids more power in the narrative that they are aware and taking steps towards preventing the conflict than the police force, than the law enforcement, than the people who are supposed to protect the town. The kids are a step ahead. They know what's going on. They somehow have figured out how to defeat evil whereas the police force can't figure it out they're the bumbling idiots the kids yeah are the... they're very inept and i feel like they always will like step in at the last minute help but not lead the 
action at the end, then the kids apologize. They're like, we're sorry we didn't believe you. We should have done more. We should have, like... They're not exactly like idiots or enemies in the way that school authority figures are, but they're very much inept and, like, Mm -hmm. need the help of the child characters to get anything done. Yeah, that aloofness really shows up in one scene. It's one of my favorites in the movie, but it's a prime example of a kid not really being listened to, and it's when the mummy shows up and he kind of hides in the kid's closet (laughs) calls his dad in to go investigate the mummy is basically hiding in plain sight in the closet and like the dad is not even looking in the closet he just kind of assumes nothing's there and it's just typical childhood nightmares taking over for his son and that idea that image is something that we see a lot in these movies where the kids are kind of on their own and they they have the means to uh, solve the problems and they kind of have to do it on their own because it's just the aloofness of the adults in the room. That mummy scene reminds me of the scene in Flubber, the yes. recurring scene mm, in Flubber true. with the kid looking through his window and first scene Robin Williams in the car crashing into the tree, the second one being the basketball and the bowling ball go around and the running scared to his parents who don't believe him. On the flip side, on the more narrative side, one thing we've talked about a lot is is a lot of these Slimehouse movies are the ones where the kids are teaching the parents the lesson as opposed to the parents teaching the kids the lesson. It's not as direct because there's not necessarily a lesson. It's, it's more, hey, look, we were right. These monsters are running through the city. But it's still that notion of the kids are right. The kids are all right. Yeah, for sure. To me, that is really, I think, maybe the strongest thing theme we see permeating through a lot of these Slimehouse movies and definitely a a benchmark I set personally to determining whether something is a Slimehouse movie besides aesthetics. Thematically, you're right. The kids have all the agency. The the plot feels Slimehouse, but the aesthetic, personally to me, didn't feel super slimy. I think this movie, personally, has a, a lot less of the gag type slime house that we know of and more the thematic broad picture slime house because after one of our last movies house arrest i think i had a long long list of little tiny gags and moments that felt very slimy this one i didn't have that i had two or three but yeah i'd say this is certainly the least comedic of the movies we've covered so far on the podcast like there are jokes along the way and kind of it's a joke in like all in all that these kids are fighting like the monsters but there's much less humor it seems more about it's more of an adventure movie for sure to me i i was thinking this is like a rubber mask enthusiast movie you know it's everyone has their rubber masks and so this movie actually had not heard this movie until we chose to cover it this movie kind of felt like it was like 82 minute commercial for Party City almost. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like stepping on Party City really quickly. And, like, yeah. You go around, you might buy like a fake mustache for fun and you walk out. To, to me, it kind of tapped into like a a sub, like a children's subculture that I feel like doesn't really exist as much anymore. Kind of like the horror kid that like makes, does monster makeup and like yeah. reads, Fang, like reads like Fangoria magazine. I feel like that's something that you see represented in a number of 80s movies in in the Friday the 13th movies, they bring in like a character played by Corey Feldman pretty late later in the series that is very much like a kid like this. And I feel like that's not really a subculture you see much anymore, but I feel like this is very much tapping into like the horror-obsessed kid culture that was more prominent in the 80s, like monster makeup and like 
loves to read the old monster magazines and watch the old monster movies. I feel like a, a comparison today would be superhero movies. I don't think we've necessarily seen a, you know, a movie that kind of speaks to superhero movies in the same way this speaks to that monster. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh-huh. This was definitely the peak of like popular horror with Stephen King and like a lot and like John Carpenter was at his height slasher movies and mm-hmm. all that. Like I mean the kid even wears a Stephen King rules shirt as we mentioned earlier throughout the movie. So I think horror right now is like not a niche genre. It still makes a ton of money, but like horror's not the thing now like it was at the time this movie was made. I mean back in the day it was more about the creatures and the monsters and killer characters and now it's more so about the atmosphere and you know the effects yeah because i mean when you try to think of like iconic horror characters you almost always go to 80s or before there's very few you think of that are 2000s and onward i feel like like horror villain type characters and a lot of them come from like i'd say the new pennywise is maybe an example and annabelle or two but i feel like those kind of draw from 80s tropes i mean it's from the 80s and then the killer doll is very much a chucky kind of i think now the most popular horror-esque thing is stranger things which has a lot in common with this and stranger things is a just an 80s throwback is all yeah for sure that's like the whole gimmick of the show and that's why people like it i mean it's a great show and there's a reason why it's a it's a sensation but it is very much looking back whereas these movies were kind of in their place in time yeah more than that even though they're even though they're looking back they're looking back at the the 30s and the universal monster movies but it still feels like an 80s movie yeah for sure and you see this right from the jump too like in the first opening title crawl that this is a movie that looks very lovingly back to these universal horror movies from the 30s but then you have this title crawl that explains about the history of these monsters and then the last sentence is they blew it and so it's just immediate from that jump that this is going to be a subversion of those horror tropes and Mm -hmm. and that kids are going to be the ones who you know turn those tropes on their head i think is is what to me makes this very slime house and that it, it yeah it takes these genre tropes and allows kids to mess with them and rip them apart and take control of a genre. Yeah, because I mean, like, one of the first scenes in the movie, the kids are walking home from school and the conversation they're having is about, like, whether the wolfman has, like, a dick or not. Like, that's the big topic. And that's, like, a running gag throughout the movie for some reason. But, yeah, like, that's, like, a early... It's, like, a <laughs> the early thing is them talking about, like, I think they say the wolf dork is what they keep saying. Like, his wolf dork. And so I feel like that kind of established right off the bat, like that this movie's going to be lovingly, because the kids are obviously fans of the Wolfman, but poking fun at these characters. Yeah, and there's the line, which I think is kind of one of the more famous lines in the movie, that after Horace, the fat kid, quote-unquote, in the movie, kicks the Wolfman in in the nards, the line is literally, Wolfman's got nards! Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of proving their theory correct. Um, Um, Has a payoff. There's another line I really love that actually I, I quoted in my letterbox review of this movie. Um, kind of the cool kid character as the mummy is kind of falling away from their car in, in, in kind of the penultimate chase scene of the movie. Uh, he says something like, back off, Band-Aid breath. See you later. 
Band-Aid breath. Which is like a total <laughs> yeah. to me, like Slimehouse line. For sure. Yeah. And I, I put that in my, I put that down in my notes, like bolded, because that felt like such a Slimehouse kind of insult. <laughs> breath. I, one thing that was fun for me was that as they pick off the monsters, they all have one-liners. <laughs> it, it's so campy and unashamedly so campy. Again, one of the few true Slimehouse gag type moments slash tropes is right in that moment when the mummy's bandage catches the tree and he gives that face expression of like, huh? Right before yeah. he... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he realizes what's going to happen. And that's such a Slimehouse thing where the, the character realizes the bad thing is going to happen right before. Yeah. Almost like, almost like Wile E. Coyote, how Wile E. Coyote only falls after he looks down, sees what's going to happen, then he falls. Yeah, for sure. I think that, like, we've kind of talked about before how Slimehouse movies generally kind of are translating cartoon to live action, or sometimes not live action, but usually translating, like, the humor and mood of cartoons to live action. I think a lot of that stuff sort of comes from Looney Tunes and those classic cartoons. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of Looney Tunes type gags. I feel like that sort of go into the slime house. Just in real life. Yeah. uh Yeah. And that, that one, the mummy one with his eyes bulging felt the most slimy. (laughs) Yeah. And another one kind of like that, I guess Looney Tunes never goes this far, but we've talked a lot about the emasculation humor. And it's like, that's kind of, prominent in a lot of these movies which usually is someone getting kicked in the balls and in this there's of course as we mentioned the wolfman's got nard scene is a classic case of kicked in the balls humor so classic in fact that it's the name of the uh documentary about the movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah which i actually didn't realize there was a there was a documentary about you know the fandom behind this movie it it does have a pretty significant cult following which for good reason hey fat kid Good job. My name is Horace. We haven't really talked about our personal opinions of this movie just yet, but I actually really, really enjoy this movie for what it is. There's definitely a, a such a spirit to this movie, a spirit of adventure and a spirit of zaniness and almost recklessness that is, is really charismatic and really contagious. And the fact that it is such a brisk, you know, 82 minutes, I think, really works in its favor just because the pace is so fast it's 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 a movie that is not afraid to admit that it doesn't really have any narrative logic i mean it has narrative logic but not a lot (laughs) logic in the sense that a kid is not going to receive van helsing's diary on the same day that (laughs) dracula ejects himself from an airplane and lands in the same exact small town that this kid is in. And there's a a pretty firecracker script that I actually think is really well written and funny and they just go for it. And I think that trimming of the fat for me in this movie and just getting right to the goods just really works. It kind of felt like a combination of Goonies and Ghostbusters because the stakes are kind of high to the level of Ghostbusters and the humor's a little more adult than Goonies, a little more targeted towards teens and adults. So I feel like it kind of combines the humor because this felt, even though the characters are kids and I saw this movie as a kid and I loved it, it definitely feels more adult focused or targeted to adults and older kids than something like Goonies. This works really well as sort of like an action comedy. 
yeah the ghostbusters analogy is on point um i think that finale and how it's kind of like this apocalyptic battle with a portal to another dimension another world i feel like it really is a product of its time like it fits really snugly as like something kids can enjoy something adults can enjoy with the callbacks to older movies they grew up with i think it's just it's pretty well-rounded i was impressed with it before we kind of get into some slime scores do we want to do a quick round of tropes the kind of just smaller ones max do you want to kick it off yeah so uh i thought the effects something that really stood out to me our first movie is the effects and makeup are really great and the effects are actually done by stan winston who did the effects for terminator jurassic park aliens predator which also has shane black in it batman returns a lot of classic sort of very stylized 80s movies but also worked on a lot of slimehouse classics we got small soldiers shaggy dog mouse hunt inspector gadget he worked on and i think he sort of adds a lot of slimehouse credentials to this with the monster makeup one person that has been showing up for the music department it's a guy named michael Simbello. he did music for this movie he did a lot of the original songs that were in house arrest and a lot of uh, gigs like that i think his most famous contribution to a film in terms of original songs is Flashdance, I think, Maniac. I think he's someone to look out for as we continue covering these kinds of movies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Maniac's the only one I knew him from. That's like when I saw his name, I was like, oh, the Maniac guy. But in doing my research, he did music for, like you mentioned, House Arrest. He did music for The Big Green, which I feel like is a pretty essential slime house. Uh, Blank Check, Mighty Ducks 2... Uh, and most prominent, most prom- iconic to me actually is the music in the scene in Gremlins, the scene in the bar where all the Gremlins <laughs> are sort of just like wreaking havoc in this bar, which it actually references Flashdance at one point. One of the Gremlins is doing the whole like Flashdance dance, which I wonder, maybe that's why they got Michael Cimbello for that. And then that's kind of what led to that because Gremlins, I think, is the earliest of all these movies. So maybe that's where he started this Slimehouse career. This one's a little one, but... There's definitely some product placement in this, and especially junk food product placement. I think, you know, as we talk about junk food, is is a very very key snack in these Slimehouse movies. And there's there's two references here. The first one being when the Monster Squad first visits the German neighbor. He feeds them um, a homemade pie and oh, yeah. uh, very prominently cans of Pepsi Cola that they scarf down. And the second one is a big Burger King reference. In the town circle, there's a bright Burger King sign during the final showdown between all the kids and the monsters, which is which is very, very funny to see. Yeah, I think it's actually name drop, too. I think at one point, I think it was a fat kid says something like, we might as well go do the ritual over at Burger King because they're like talking about doing the ritual in the church and how it like it might not work or something. And he like name drops Burger King and it like pans over and shows the Burger King sign, which is like, I think the most blatant example of the product placement in this movie. But yeah, the whole Burger King thing is very prominent in this. And there's a subcategory of junk food that we're going to see more and more in Slimehouse that I see for the first time of the movies we've covered. And that is in the early part of the movie when the fat kid is eating a Snickers bar and then it gets. (laughs) dropped on the ground and then the 
older character forces the bully to eat the gross thing, which is oh, something yeah. we're going to see a ton <laughs> of in these movies where a character, good or bad, depending on the situation, is forced to eat something gross. Yeah, which, speaking of the bully, it's moving on to sort of some key Slimehouse players in this movie. The bully actor is Jason Hervey, I think is his name, who also played most famously he's the older brother in the wonder years who is sort of a bully type character and he's the kid who i guess he's a bully to peewee and peewee's big adventure but the kid that gets peewee's bike and kind of antagonizes him for it in the film that gets it from francis is played by this kid as well and he's not a bully in it but he also appears in back to the future he's one of the siblings i think of marty mcfly or i think of Marty McFly's mom when he goes back in time. So Marty McFly's uncle. Yeah, Marty McFly's uncle. <laughs> Busy actor. Yeah, uh, lots of bully roles for this guy. Bullies and older brothers, which I feel like are kind of synonymous in a lot of these Slimehouse movies. But <laughs> Definitely. Another big thing. Um, it's a cornerstone of a lot of different um, you know, coming-of-age narratives, uh, movies about kids is The Treehouse. I think this is the first movie we've covered that does have a treehouse where all the kids kind of con- congregate and they you know, climb up the ladder and they plan their shenanigans. There's a lot in there with uh, how the kids interact in their own kind of space where the adults aren't allowed. Um, it's another parallel to house arrest for sure. And then um, I think the slimiest little image I can think of when I think of this movie is when everyone's in there including the the beagle and they um have a little they put (laughs) their hands in a circle and even the dog does it and his paw is there so um, (laughs) there's just something about that kind of like imagery in the film that i think is very just you know classic something else like the sandlot has that in it too yeah i mean we've talked to the other four this is like a key example of the band of misfits kind of narrative with all these kids who were all weird in some way but they're all tied together by their love of monsters come together to form the monster squad together to take care of business and sort of like find themselves in the process yeah the dog paw on the huddle i think is in every single Airbud movie and oh yeah for sure <laughs> and yeah it's sandlot and and then it's funny because in this it's not a huge gag but i think with every further iteration, it becomes an even bigger and bigger and more amazing thing that the dog put, can put its hand into the <laughs> yeah. huddle. So you can see it laying some proto-slime groundwork. I remembered this being a little more slimier than it was, but I think this is an extremely strong example of the, the very beginning of a lot of these tropes. This movie really is the beginning of a lot of those thematic tropes and aesthetic tropes that will really be kind of overblown in a lot of the more later Slimehouse movies. So with that, do you want to jump in and do Slime scores? Yeah, for sure. I think for me, this is somewhere between a six and a seven. Um, it, it, it speaks so much to, the, to what Slimehouse will become. Yet, I do think it's a little more raunchy. It does have that PG-13 rating. It is a little bit more of an adventure film. It's not as comedic. There's not a lot of slapstick. But that spirit of Slimehouse is so alive and well in this movie. So, for that, I would probably give it a 7. I 
am kind of in agreement there. Seven out of ten seems about right, and I do think it's signaling an evolution from kind of the mid '80s. I think it's really streamlining some of those ideas, character archetypes, and I think it hits the right notes. But it's more interested in paying homage to pre-existing eras of in kinds of film that I think it spends more time in that area than the average Slimehouse movie does and doesn't have the sheen of the average Slimehouse movie even though as I said earlier a party city movie so seven out of ten that see it's funny you say all that stuff that kind of counters it I I agree with all of what you said but I don't I think a seven out of ten is too high for me and I actually I like this movie but I don't think it's I don't think it's that slimy I think it's aesthetically not very slimy and the humor isn't very slime house mm-hmm. so i would i'm gonna go i'm gonna go lower i would probably just put it at a, at a four because of all the things i agree with you jared on but i i think those to me signal something less slime house and more its own type of thing than slime house prime time okay sure i mean i agree with you about aesthetically it's not as developed as later slime movies are and that's kind of why i keep it at a seven but um i I think like you know the interactions between the kids and um their you know the way it kind of film kind of brings you into their world and their interactions i mean i think that's quite slimy yeah yeah i think i'd kind of have to sort of find the middle ground between urls i think i'd go with a five the reason i'd go right down the middle is i feel like of like the key sorts of proto slime house, I kind of think of you have your supernatural comedies, sort of Ghostbusters and Gremlins, I would say, are my key examples of that. And then you have your children's adventures, which I'd say Goonies is a key example of that. And this kind of combines those two, which I feel like is kind of a crucial combination to lead to peak slime, the sort of sci-fi horror comedy mixed with children's adventures. And I think this is a pretty early movie to do that, but I agree completely that aesthetically this movie doesn't really have the Slimehouse look. Yeah. And yeah. the humor in particular, I feel like, is more like Lethal Weapon Shane Black style humor, but for a younger audience than it is sort of the Slimehouse kind of humor. Like, as far as the proto slime goes, I would say Gremlins is probably closer to slime house and maybe even back to the future i'd have to rewatch it but this is definitely a key midpoint where the two proto slime genres sort of combined and for that i'd say i'd give it a five even though aesthetically and like the gags are not quite slime i do like this movie a lot but yeah. i would say it's right down the middle you mm-hmm. know what i will concede to both max and nelson and i'm gonna drop my score down to a six hearing hearing all those those opinions i think you know i was leaning really heavy on the spirit of, of slime house in in my score there but i think aesthetically i think it is important to consider this is an early this is from 1987 and i think you know this is far before the peak of slime house that we'd see in the later 90s early thousands so i think you do you know taking into consideration that this is the beginning of the evolution does not necessarily mean it is you know slime house it's definitely proto slime it's definitely Mm -hmm. that spirit is so alive and well in this but it it's laying the groundwork in the same way that the goonies does in the same way that weird science did that we've already talked about but yeah 
All right, so I'm going to drop it down to a six. I it's like you you kind of want to have like a separate rating for some of these early movies we talked about for like how slimy is it, but also like on a scale of one to ten, how proto slimy is it? Like if, <laughs> how oh. proto slimy is Monster Squad? Because I'd say this is this is yeah this is a, this is a ten in proto slime. This movie may have influenced Slimehouse. I wish this movie had influenced Universal's Dark Universe. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, if we got something like this, like for the dark universe, that would have been so much fun compared I know. to that mummy, the mummy that. we got. <laughs> I was thinking this could be the team up movie, you know, because it, it felt like how Justice League seemed when I was a kid, like the cartoon of Justice League of like, oh, all the heroes you like packed into one room. And this is kind of what that is. And so in a way, it's sort of like wish fulfillment for what dark universe could have been. And uh, interestingly, it- this was all done without licensing, which I think is why he's referred to as Gilman throughout yes. the movie. So I can only, I can't even, I can only imagine what they would have done with licensed Universal characters. Huh? I'm glad you brought that up. I meant to bring up that trivia that's that I saw that they were none of these characters were licensed from Universal, so it's all very suggestive and avoiding specific names yeah, uh-huh. of people. Which interestingly, the. The, the end credits rap, which I also think I, <laughs> I forgot to mention. That's a very slime house sort of thing. There's an end credits rap that summarizes the events of the movie, which I think is by Michael Cimbello, who's not a rapper, but I guess decided to take on this task anyways. And yeah, but that says Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I wonder yeah. if maybe they got licensing for the song but not the movie because i think that's the only time creature from the black lagoon is said in the movie instead of gilman eh? i don't think you need to get licensing rights to sing something in a song I just think, just to depict him would be i think it's the marriage of name and likeness and that wraps up this week of slime house the first of five episodes tackling some of the spookiest slime movies uh in celebration of Halloween coming up. Again, I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. I'm Max. And I'm Nelson. And we'll see you next week for some more pumpkin spice slime. Oh, gosh.